Nehemiah 11. We're going to skip a lot of verses tonight simply because in Nehemiah 11 and 12, there are a lot of lists of names and numbers that, that I won't say are unimportant, but, but they're really hard to read to. And so for time's sake, it's a bunch of names that will be hard to, hard to pronounce, and uh, we'll just we'll, we'll skip over those names. Uh, we'll still get the, we'll still understand the, the point of what's going on. But if you want to go back and and read read the verses we skip, I would encourage you to do that. You may you may see a name or a, a place mentioned in there that kind of kind of piques your interest. Maybe a, a name or a place you heard in another part of the Bible. Maybe you can make a connection to something. But we will we'll skip a lot of these names and numbers here in Nehemiah 11 and 12, just for time's sake. Nehemiah 11 verse 1. Let's pray, and then we'll get started. God, we come to you. We thank you for the freedom to come in here tonight and worship you. And God, as we draw to the close of this book, dear Lord, and kind of see the things that are that are going on here at the end of, of, of the book of Nehemiah, I pray that there's something in here tonight, God, just in the few verses we look at, that we can learn from your word. And I pray that you just uh, speak to us through it in some way. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. These last few chapters, or at least Nehemiah 11 and 12, they're kind of, they're kind of tying up, I guess you'd say, the, the rest of the loose ends. I mean, we've already kind of, it's kind of like the book of Esther. You know, you, you kind of get to the meat of the, of the book, and you, and you see the, the most, most important thing, the most significant things, if we can call them that. And then, and then you kind of, the, the exciting stuff is kind of gone, and you're just kind of filling in the gaps of what happened after the big event, which was the building of the wall, that was the big event. They built the wall. They got back in. Everything was good, and we've and we've seen that. But what we've seen in the last couple of chapters, which has been really good as well, is that the people, uh, once they rebuilt the walls, they went back in. They they reinstated certain things that they used to do that God had commanded them to do, and then we see this idea of of repentance in Nehemiah chapter nine. We see that the people. Are, are recognizing, God, we have really sinned. And we have sinned in a lot of ways, but you have been so faithful to us time and again as a people. Would you please be faithful to us again and have mercy on us? And God was, of course, faithful to them, and he, he did hear their prayers. And, and then we see uh, in Nehemiah chapter 10, uh, we see that they make this vow. I had, a, I had a, a blank there for a second. We see how they made the vow. And they said, okay, God, there were a lot of things that you commanded us to do. And here are some things that we have quit doing. And last week, we kind of looked at 11 of those things that we broke it down into areas where they said, God, we are recommitting ourselves to you in these areas. I think the printouts are still up here if, you, if you're interested in getting those and kind of seeing those Old Testament commands that they were saying, we're going to go back to follow this command. And so that's what we saw in the last two chapters, which is a beautiful thing. They praise God, they acknowledge that they're sinful, and they say, God, we're going to recommit to you, and we're not going to sin in this way anymore. We're going to do better. And so things are looking really good here at the end of Nehemiah. They've come in, the temple's rebuilt, the wall's rebuilt. God has been good to them. God has delivered them from their enemies, and things are going really well as the book begins to draw to a close. And then in Nehemiah 11.1, 1, it says, Now the leaders of the people stayed in Jerusalem. And the rest of the people cast lots for one out of ten to come and live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the other nine tenths remained in their towns. 
the people praised all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Okay, so we're starting to get a picture. There were a lot of people that had come back in the time of Zerubbabel and Ezra and here in Nehemiah. But not all of those people that had come back were all living in Jerusalem. The, the leaders were living in Jerusalem, and there were others who were going to live in Jerusalem. And it says that they cast lots for one out of ten. And so uh, we, we talked about that uh, Sunday, coincidentally. We talked about casting of lots. That's something we see uh, often in the Bible. And so uh, they cast the lots, and, and this, this group had volunteered, these, these who wanted to go back into the town, and only one out of every ten were chosen. And so Jerusalem was beginning to be repopulated with the, with the leaders and the temple and the priests and the Levites and all those folks, uh, but also with, with other people who were, who were beginning to uh, filter their way back in. And then from verse 3, through most of this chapter, you begin to see lists of all of these names and numbers from different people and from different places. And, and we'll skip over those things just because... It's a lot of names, just kind of just this person and that person and this person and this number went from this place and to this place. And, and so if you want to read the rest of Nehemiah 11, uh, you, can, you can do that. That would be good homework for you this week. I did mention, though, that sometimes when you read through lists like this, you may see a name that, that, that jumps out at you that you, see, that you see mentioned in another part of the Bible that helps us to make connections. For instance, a good example of that uh, is what we talked about Sunday, the Amalekites and the Agagites. You know, we see, that, we see those names, and a lot of times we read through the list where there's a lot of names of a lot of people, uh, whether it's the name of a town or the name of a person, and we may, may kind of read through those lists real fast, and we say, oh, all those towns with an ites, or all those people with an ites. But a lot of times we make and see connections, and they're not, they're not obvious to us for sure. But sometimes maybe when we read through these lists, there may be a little spark, and we say, wait a minute, I've seen the term Agagite before, you know, way back in, in, in the time of, of Saul, and here I'm seeing it again in the book of Esther. And sometimes when we see those things, we may want to research them and see if there's a connection. You may not find any connection to any, anything that's very significant. It may just be a name and a list. Sometimes that's the case. But sometimes you can find some, some names of people or places that do have significance. One of those uh, we might could point out while we're here is in Nehemiah 11, verse 30. And the second half of Nehemiah 11, verse 30, at the end of the verse, it says, So they settled from Beersheba to the valley of Hinnom. Now, the valley of Hinnom, you may read through there and not think much about it. But when we read the New Testament, Jesus actually talks about the valley of Hinnom. Now, he talks about people being uh, thrown into Gehenna, which is the Greek version of the word Valley of Hinnom. Valley of Hinnom would be the, uh, would be the Hebrew, uh, but, but when it got to the Greek, the word Gehenna that is used in the Greek New Testament, is, it means Valley of Hinnom or Valley of the Sons of Hinnom. And so in our translations, when we see the Valley of Hinnom, a.k.a. Gehenna, mentioned, almost always the translators of our translations translate that as the word hell. And that's unfortunate. Now, it may very well be that when Jesus is speaking of Gehenna, or the Valley of Hinnom, he is using that as a euphemism for hell. That is a, a way to kind of soften it up, or, or another word other than saying, you know, what we think of as hell. It's very possible, and maybe even probable, that when Jesus spoke of, of the Valley of Gehenna, or the Valley of Hinnom, that he was referencing some type of, of, of hell to come. 
But it is also possible that Jesus was simply talking about the real literal place called the Valley of Hinnom or Gehenna. And so that's why it's important for us to, to do a little bit of research sometimes. And it's, and it's really unfortunate, I feel, and this is just my opinion, when we read the New Testament and the Old Testament, because oftentimes there are a lot of words that translators translate all of those words as hell. And so when we read that, we, that may be the intention that, that God wanted us to get what we think of as hell or what we think of as the lake of fire, uh, but that may not always be the case. One example of that is the word sheol that we see in the Old Testament. Sheol simply means the grave. That's, that's a Hebrew word, sheol. The Greek word for sheol is Hades, which also means the grave. But oftentimes if we say Hades, we think, oh, that's talking about hell. Well, that may be what is intended when we read the Scripture, but it may not be. Uh, when people die, they go to Sheol. When people die, they go to Hades. Well, they go to the grave. Does that, does that mean something more? Well, maybe in some situations it does, or maybe it doesn't. But that's why it's important for us to, to study Scripture and see those differences, because they're not always obvious to us. But since we saw Valley of Hinnom there, I thought this would be a good opportunity to kind of discuss how we have differences of words and how we sometimes, not we, not me, but translators translate those things different. And, and it does make a difference sometimes on which word is used to, to understand, you know, what's being talked about. All right, Nehemiah chapter 12. Now, it starts off with more of the same, more of the same of uh, the names of these priests and people uh, that have come uh, throughout all these things that are going and again, we're not, we're not going to read these lists just for time's sake. But, but after all these people that are coming back into the city or back in the city, and these people are recalled that have come, and all the way back to the time of Zerubbabel, and all these people that are talked about, and the Levites and the priests and the temple singers and all these other things, we'll skip all the way down to Nehemiah 12, verse 27. So we'll skip most of Nehemiah 12, and, and we will come to a dedication ceremony. Now, they have already built the wall. Uh, things are going good. They've already reinstated some of their festivals. They have praised God. They have repented. They have recommitted themselves to God. And so things are going great for God's people. They are really in a good place. They are in a, they are in a, they are in a, a great place, a place that maybe some of us are in sometimes. Uh, is it not true that when we commit ourselves to God and repent of our sin and say, God, I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to seek you, and I'm going to listen to you. Are those not the best times in our life? Well, I can say that they are for me, and hopefully you can say the thing. There is nothing better than when we're walking closely with the Lord. But there's nothing worse than when we're not walking close with the Lord. But in the case of the people of Nehemiah, at this point in time, when these things are being written, they are walking in fellowship with God. And they are dedicating this wall here in Nehemiah 12, verse 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sent for the Levites wherever they lived and brought them to Jerusalem to celebrate the joyous dedication with thanksgiving and singing, accompanied by cymbals, harps, and lyres. The singers gathered from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophathites. Now, I, I, I looked up that, that, that particular word because that's one I'm not familiar with, and it's used a few times in Scripture and... and uh, I don't, I don't know if there's significance to the fact that, that village, uh, those villages are mentioned there, but I didn't, really, I didn't really find anything that jumped out at me. So if you're interested and want to do a word study on the, on the uh, uh, 
Nefatha lights, then uh, please do so, and that'd be great. Uh, from Beth Gilgal and from the fields of Geba to Asmaveth, for they had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. After the priests and Levites had purified themselves, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. And so this is a joyous occasion. They built this wall in 52 days. God was with them. God had provided for them. And they are praising God, and they are dedicating this wall. They are, they are acknowledging that it, that, that it is God who has been, been good to them. And, man, everything is going good because the temple's been restored. The wall's been restored. The sacrifices have been restored. The Levites and the priests have been restored. This was a... This was a big time for God's people in the days of Nehemiah. In verse 31, it says, Then I brought the leaders. Now, the I there, I suppose it's possible it could be Nehemiah, uh, but Nehemiah didn't write the book of Nehemiah. It is suggested and believed uh, by many that it was Ezra who wrote the book of Nehemiah. And that's possible. It's, sometimes it's hard to know with these things exactly who penned them. Now, we do have some parts of Nehemiah that appear to be Nehemiah speaking, and I think that they probably are. And so it's likely that Ezra either either heard Nehemiah say these things or had some record of them, and perhaps he, he plugged in some of the things that Nehemiah said. It's possible that, that Nehemiah is, is, is the one speaking here. It's also possible it could be speaking of, of Ezra uh, when it writes this in verse 31. And so probably one of those two is the I that's referred to. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up on top of the wall, and I appointed two large processions that gave thanks. One went to the right on the wall toward the dung gate. Now, again, we have a big list of names here that we won't, we won't discuss about which groups went which way. Uh, but if you still have your map of Nehemiah, you can look back at it because you can see, you can kind of trace their path. But really, uh, what you see is they started on one side of the city and Based on the gates they started at, they were obviously pretty close together. And one group went to the left, and the other group went to the right, and they ended up meeting around about the area where the temple would be. And so if you still got your map, or you want to search online and find one later, you can kind of go back to these verses, and you can kind of see uh, how, their, how their path went and where they ended up meeting. And so one group, it says in verse 31, went to the right. In verse 38, it says the second thanksgiving procession went to the left and i followed it with half the people along the top of the wall past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall above the gate of ephraim and by the old gate the fish gate the tower of hananel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate they stopped at the gate of the guard the two thanksgiving processions stood in the house of god so i so did i and half of the officials accompanying me Okay, so we saw the first group uh, went, went to the right, and the other group went to the left, and it, it traces out all these gates. If you go back and look at a picture of the gates of Nehemiah, you can see that they're, they're just making their way around and, and checking these gates off as they go. And eventually, uh, once they get past the sheep gate, if you look at a map, you'll see that they're pretty close to where the temple uh, area would have been. And so when we talk about those who went to the right, we don't really have as much detail about them, but... I think it's probably safe to assume that, that they continued all the way up until they met the others uh, at that same spot, even though it's not uh, spelled out for us there. All right, verse 43. On that day, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. The women and children also celebrated, and Jerusalem's rejoicing 
was heard far away. That's a that's a good a good thing I think for God's people when when God God is praised by His people, and and that is heard. Now we don't praise God or. Or do things in that way so that people will hear us. We don't want to say, man, I want people to hear me praising God. But it's it should be a natural thing that when God does good in our life that we do praise him. We're not doing it because we want to look good. We're doing it because God has done something. And that's just that just comes out of us and the way we live. And, and the fact that when we see people and something happens, we say, man, isn't God good because he did this? Isn't God good because he did that? And so that's a natural response for us. And it's good. Uh, when when people can see that that type of love and praise we have for God, not not for our glory, but they can see that God has done something good. And and the, in the case of Nehemiah's folks, it says that uh, rejoicing was heard far away. And may it be so with us that our rejoicing in Jesus Christ may be heard far away to the ends of the earth. Verse forty four. On that same day. Men were placed in charge of the rooms that housed the supplies, contributions, first fruits, and tents. The legally required portions for the priests and Levites were gathered from the village fields because Judah was grateful to the priests and Levites who were serving. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification, along with the singers and gatekeepers, as David and his son had prescribed. Now, just kind of make a little mental note of, of, of that verse 44 right there. And, and, and just kind of remember that, that what's going on as we look at Nehemiah 13 next week. Because one of the things that they had, they had promised to do that we saw in Nehemiah 10, or excuse me, yeah, Nehemiah 10, was that they were going to recommit themselves and they were going to bring all the tithes and the first fruits and the things that they were supposed to bring in to the temple. It was for the Levites and for the priests. That's why God had commanded the people to bring these things in for the for for those who were doing the Lord's work, and it talks here about uh, that, that them being servants of the people and serving the people, and so the the recommitment to bring in the first fruits and all of the offerings and the grain and all the things that they were going to bring, the contributions, uh, they were doing that. They had said they were going to do it, and here in Nehemiah twelve, they are doing that, uh, and so keep that in mind uh, next week. If you can remember from, from, from that far, I'll probably be done forgot that by next week. But they began to uh, do all the things that they should do. And then in verse 46, For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were leaders of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. Now, uh, we probably are all pretty familiar with David. You may not be as familiar with Asaph. However, you may be because Asaph wrote several of the Psalms. And so here we see this idea of the, of the singers in verse 45. And then it speaks of long ago in David's day and Asaph's day that there were leaders of the singers and songs of praise. And so if you want to turn to uh, Psalm 76, just keep your finger in Nehemiah 12. If you want to turn to Psalm 76, this is something that you'll probably be familiar with because from time to time we take a little little break between books and we go through a few of the Psalms and we've, we've worked our way through about half of the Psalms, I think. I don't, I'm not sure if we've covered Psalm 76 yet or not, but, but at the beginning of this Psalm, as well as with many of the Psalms that we see, both of David and, and of others, uh, we see these superscriptions. This little, this little bit of a title. Now, some of your, some of your translations may leave this out. However, it, it would have been in the, in the, in the, you know, manuscripts. It would have been something that would have originally been there. And so, 
I'm not sure if every translation puts those, those superscriptions up there, uh, but some of your translations may have a superscription in Psalm 76 that says, For the choir director with stringed instruments, a psalm of Asaph, a song. Now that language above the, uh, uh, right before these, these psalms start is pretty common to us. We see this. Why? Because these things were, as this says, a song. And who was this for? It was for the choir director with stringed instruments. And so uh, probably not so different than when we get together and we sing. Uh, we got somebody that kind of directs everybody. And we have, we have instruments that we play sometimes. And these songs of praise are sung before the Lord. And so what we see in Nehemiah 12, when we see this reference of, of David, and we see the reference of, of, of Asaph, uh, what we see in these psalms uh, is, is something that we can, we can bring to mind. Uh, and that's the idea here, is that in the days of Asaph and David, uh, there were music leaders who led in these songs of praise to the Lord. And so it is now that the people have been restored. Uh, they have got these singers and these, these people who are leading in these songs to the Lord of thanksgiving to God, it says at the end of the passage. Verse 47 so the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, it was Zerubbabel in the book of Ezra who first led the people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Eventually, Ezra came onto the scene, and then after Ezra, Nehemiah came onto the scene. And so when we cover from Zerubbabel to Nehemiah, we're covering that whole period. So from Zerubbabel to Esther, or excuse me, yeah, from Zerubbabel to the time of Esther to the time of Ezra to the time of Nehemiah, all of these things are kind of in that time period. Zerubbabel and Nehemiah are a bookend. Those two people are kind of a bookend to the events in all of those books. All Israel contributed the daily portions for the singers and gatekeepers. They also set aside daily portions for the Levites, and the Levites set aside daily portions for the descendants of Aaron. And so things are going good. The people are rejoicing. The temple's been restored. The temple sacrifice for the Levites and the priests uh, uh, and, and the tithes, the offerings, all of those things that the people are supposed to bring. All of those things are, are back into place and everything is going good. And it would be fantastic if the book of Nehemiah stopped there. But it does not stop there. There's one more chapter to go and you already know the story if you've read the Old Testament. God's people fall back into their same old ways. And this is kind of a pattern that we see in the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah. They're very similar in that way. Uh, and, 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 the, and the things that they kind of deal with and, and, and really in the, in the way that the people are acting. They cover kind of the same, same events. And so God's people are doing so well, but it doesn't last long. And so uh, let that be a, a good lesson for us to think about and consider uh, as we prepare to, Lord willing, finish the book up next week. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for these, these good passages tonight as we kind of tie up the loose ends and we see what's going on with your people. God, I pray that there was something in one of these verses maybe that, that spoke to us, dear Lord. And I pray that we would be found faithful to, to praise you and rejoice in you, dear Lord. It's a good feeling when we are praising you, when we are seeking you, when we're rejoicing in you. And God, it's not such a good feeling when we're not. And so God, maybe some of us are, are not living for you tonight the way we should. I pray that you would help us to follow the example of, of the people of Nehemiah, that we would repent and seek you. And God, maybe there's some in here that are doing great. I pray that they wouldn't let their guard down. And God, that, that we would 
be on guard because just as the people of Nehemiah were doing good this week, well, they're not going to be doing so good next week. And so it is with us, dear Lord. So help us to, to stay on track and to seek you. And I just thank you that we can come, and I just praise you for being good to us. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.